Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Slow Your Roll. I am Dominic Lorenzano, alongside writer for the Yaki Wave Report, Jesse Caulfield, as always. And boy, it's been a uh, it's been a big 24, 48 hours in sports. There's a lot to get to today. We're going to have Beverly's basketball coach fresh off an undefeated season last year, Matt Caracuda, stopping in as well for an interview to talk about how he's built that program and preview this next season. The Pats... Boy, I, I, I'm trying to contain the Mac Jones hype for everyone to not get over themselves, but I know it's just gonna it's gonna get out of control after that game. They might be the best team in the AFC, though. Uh, also, Lincoln Riley going leaving Oklahoma, going to USC. Whether you're a college football fan or not, that will have a ripple effect. It will have an effect on the NFL. Also, as I said, the Pats game. We're gonna talk some MLB free agency as well, Jesse. And we're going we're gonna to go through some coaches today, see who should be fired or retained. And I love our Darwin Award this week, too. It's just he encompasses incompetency, in my opinion. Anyway, Jesse Caulfield, I will turn it Hi. over to you now to get us started today on this. Uh, this is a big episode. This is, this is a yeah. big week. A big week. Yeah. Tissue in the nose. Yes. I'm going to apologize in advance. I have a cough. It's probably going to flare up at some point. Especially with a lot of talking. Yes. But, you know, we don't talk a lot of basketball on this show. And for good reason. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. We're not experts. No. Uh, Certainly not in the NBA. Also, let's be honest, the beginning of the NBA season doesn't really matter. Oh, I certainly don't care. Uh, (laughs) Like half the league makes the playoffs. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, we're, we're, it's no secret, at least if you watched a couple episodes of this, we're not fans of the National Basketball Association. We just don't. Not a fan of how they handle things, how the players uh, go about things. But there is a player that I am rapidly becoming a huge fan of. Uh, and it's not just because he's on the Celtics now. Uh, Enos Cantor, uh, you know, more of a role player, not a star at all. But he can't help but make headlines. Um, and for reasons other than basketball. We're not one for talking about politics on this show. We try to avoid it any chance we can. We've really never talked about it at all. Yeah, well, um, I mean, the state doesn't agree yeah. with us. <laughs> this is a sports show, and we try to keep it as such. However, sometimes sports and the real world blend, and Enos Cantor loves to do that. Now, just a little background on the man, the myth, the legend. So he was born in Switzerland, but he is Turkish, and he is very proud of being a Turk. You know, he went to school there, grew up there, um, but he's also very critical of Turkey, and that's kind of where a lot of this started. He was very critical of uh, the Turkish president. I dare not try to pronounce his name. Erdogan. That's how you say it? Yes. Okay, because I was looking at it last night. This symbols and just things. I'm like, that's not. Yeah. That's not, I'm not going to try. Well, good for you. Um, well, I was, I've been there. You have? <laughs> yes. You know what he's talking about. Yeah, was, I was bit. there during the riots. <laughs> yeah, but he is, he is critical. Uh, he has called him the Hitler of our century on Twitter. Um, and, you know, there's an arrest warrant out for him in Turkey. Uh he has, in 2009, he didn't travel with the team to London when he was with the Knicks because he was uh, afraid of just, you know, Europe's not the nicest place that it used to be. So he didn't trust going over there. I mean, it's too close to everything. You know? Yeah. So, but this isn't about Turkey at all. That's just a little background on kind of where, I mean, his, how do I say this? Social justice-isms started. Uh, and, you know, for good reason, he's Turkish. But what really made me catch his or what really caught my eye with him was we played the Lakers we even mentioned it in the last show yes uh 
And what nobody mentioned at all, and I didn't learn until after the show, and I hate myself for not learning it, is that Enos Cantor, he likes to wear uh, custom shoes, depending on, like, the game and just how, what, like, whatever he's feeling that day. Whatever, whatever cause he wants to take up that day, he'll wear shoes for it. And when he prayed the Lakers and LeBron, he wore shoes of him getting crowned by, uh, I believe it's pronounced Xi Jinping, mm-hmm. uh, the president uh, or whatever he is, the dictator of the Communist Party of China. Yeah, he's a dictator. Yes. Uh, getting crowned by him. LeBron James getting crowned by him. And you know what? The reason I wanted to bring this up and talk about it is because I learned this from a meme, not from the news. I then had to Google it and like make sure this is true and all this other stuff. And I found very little articles about it. No one wanted to talk about it. Of course. So then I dig, I dug in more. I follow him on Twitter now. All this, I've seen a whole bunch of his shoes. You know, Hong Kong, uh, Free the Uyghurs. He's very critical of China. If you follow his Twitter, he is not just one tweet. Oh, eating some salad today. Nope. It's all about. Uh, you know, recently it's been all about China. Um, he's very critical of China, and for good reason. He plays in the NBA, and they don't dare. They would never dare insult China in the NBA. Uh, even the Houston Rockets GM, Daryl Morey, a couple years ago, uh, I believe it was 2019, yes. when he made this uh, comment on Twitter, uh, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Don't feel like that's a very controversial statement. I, I'll stand with, say stand with Hong Kong. Those people deserve freedom over their dic- Chinese dictators. Um, but, oh, the NBA didn't like that. Didn't like that at all. Uh, he was in big trouble. He was torched by the media for some reason. Uh, and blackballed in the NBA. Now, Enos Cantor, he is, but he was told he is allowed to say these things, but they really don't like to give him the spotlight, but he just will not put it down. And I love it. Yeah. Um, he's even being critical. So, sports news, if you've been paying attention in any tennis news recently, you might have heard the name, uh, I don't want to butcher this one either. I looked this one up. It's Peng Shui, I believe it is. Almost like Feng Shui. Feng Shui. But Peng Shui. She's a tennis player from China. She was recently critical of China, saying a uh, she didn't say that which one particular, but a politician in China had sexually assaulted her in the past. Yeah. And she uh, spoke of that and then disappeared for like a week. No one knew where she was, never made a statement. How dare you insult communism like yes. this, Jesse? They're for the working man. Yes. <laughs> and then if you, you... She had to work probably for a week to work off that statement. Get that... um. What's it, what do they got? Uh, the social... Uh, what, we got... Um, social credit scores. That's what they got. They got yes. social credit scores. Social credit scores. She had to get a social credit score back up. But then she reappeared, because obviously like she's a public figure, people ask. She reappeared with just a statement saying that, oh, this is not true. I'm fine. I'm great. I'm chilling in my house. She then did an interview with the International Olympic Committee when she said, I am fine. Ha ha. Zoom call. This big smile on her face. So good. She's happy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, China has probably got a gun to her head sitting on the other side of that screen. But something like the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, which should have more power and more sway than a man like Cantor, and yet they won't dare uh, challenge China. No, no, no. Guess who has the Olympics next year? China. China! They're going to Beijing. Uh now, Enos Cantor has been very critical of that. He has been someone who has said we should boycott that. And you know what? Not to get too political, because we don't like to do that here. But I'm not, 
I am 100% with him. I'm not the biggest fan of our current president. However, if he came on and said the United States is going to boycott the next Olympics, I'd respect the hell out of that. Yes. So, sorry, getting the sniffles. But a man like Enos Cantor, we are someone, like I said, we don't talk politics. We're usually kind of critical when uh, celebrities and public figures and um, athletes do. Because a lot of the times, you know, oh, just focus on the game. Well, it comes from an extremely sheltered place living in America your entire life. That's the big thing. Yeah. And Enos Cantor <clears throat> has experience with actual totalitarian regimes. Yes. And yeah. I'll, I'll even throw Cantor a bone here, too, and, and throw everybody a bone. If you're going to go on the political spectrum, Turkey and Erdogan would be on the right wing to totalitarian uh, spectrum of politics, too. Hmm. So it's both. You yeah. can call out the extreme right wings, too. We all know China's the left because it's communism. But, but you know, with something like this, we can be critical of players speaking out um, because, yeah, they are coddled. They're, a lot of times they are just out of touch. They don't really understand, uh, which is true. However, when, you, when you're in a place of, I don't know, people look up to you, power, I understand why you sometimes want and sometimes you really should. If, you, if people watch you and people look at you and people look up to you, some, you have a... A, a privilege, a almost a, is a better word I'm looking for. Well, you almost have to sometimes. Yes. But being in that position, you need to really, you know, be aware. You need to almost sure you need to be a correct when you're saying something like this. And I think Enos Cantor is 100% correct. We need to stand up to China. Uh, he is for Uyghur freedom uh, in Western China. He is for Hong Kong freedom. He is for Taiwanese freedom. Remember Tibet? Free Tibet? Remember that? We all gave up on that. Guess who hasn't? <laughs> Enos Cantor hasn't given up on that. Uh, so he is very critical of China. Uh, this is a family show, but F China. <laughs> That's mostly what this is about. And I want to say congratulations to Enos Cantor Freedom, officially changed his name, and officially became a U.S. citizen today. So oh, yeah. welcome, Enos. Thank and thank you. you for all you do. I will be quick about this because I also I'd rather not talk politics, but I will say this for Cantor: when your entire league has made it their thing to talk politics and only talk about it on one side of the perspective. Here's the other thing too: people like LeBron and all that. If you're going to sit there and stay on that hill, oh no, my mic fell. <laughs> stay there on that hill. We will stand up to all the people who are ever oppressed. Blah 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 blah, and then you will shut your mouth on China. You're a hypocrite, and you deserve to be called out. Facts. So, if listen, if he was in Major League Baseball, I would kind of be like, eh, I wouldn't be a fan, because I'd be like, listen, your whole league's not doing it, so like, eh, kind of don't, whatever. But, your whole league is doing it, and they're taking money from China, and they're trying to, you know, poo-poo the rest of society uh-huh. and say how bad we are, while at the same time completely ignoring the uh, oppression of people in China and taking China's money all the time. While collecting money from a country that has sweatshops with children in it and suicide nets. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I I, I support Enos Cantor on this one. And the other thing is, like I said, he has at least real-world experience with totalitarian regimes, too. As long as he's just talking from the safety and sanctity of America, where he's lived his entire life. And it's not that I'm oppressed, I know more than you, it's just that this is how I feel, and this is how I think we should feel. Well, yeah, but it's, I feel it's like not, it, it, it's but, not that holier-than-thou preachy. 
No, I know. But um, I, when, when you have lived in it, like, I mean, anyone who's lived, like, during the Soviet Union time and had to live in Eastern Europe and stuff, I totally support them being mad and getting and talking about whenever they can, whenever they hear some stupid American politician or usually professor or some stupid college kid talk about how wonderful communism is. Yeah. So. And I'm not that shut up and dribble type of person when people talk, but I just want you to be educated when yes. you talk. And I just don't want you to be a hypocrite, honestly. Hey, that too. That's the bigger, like Le- if LeBron talked about all of them all the time, I'd be like, ah, you're consistent. I don't like what you say about America most of the time, but you're consistent. Yeah. But now nah, you're going to shut up and take Chinese money and not talk about that. But poo-poo the rest of us saying that we oppress people. So yeah, no. All right. I think I think that's good with that. That was a good one. That was. We are going to move on to rapid fire news. Boy, there has been a ton. We're not even going to go over a ton of NFL scores because of that. But anyway, I'll go over a few. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Big Ben. We haven't been a fan of him all year, but he looked about 100 years old yesterday. That was by the worst game he's ever played. Bengals <laughs> torched them 41-10 to 10 because Mike Tomlin's defense is wrecked also, and that was the only thing that was helping Pittsburgh win games. Uh, Baker continued to play poorly. They should have just sat him for Case Keenum already because Baker's not healthy, and when Baker's not healthy, he's not better than Case. They're about the same. Uh, Ravens beat them 16-10. to 10. Packers look like the best team in the NFC. I'm ready to say it. I'm a believer now. Really? They take down the Rams 36-28. Matt Stafford has thrown a pick six in three straight games, by the way. The only other person to do that was Matt Schaub. So we all love Stafford. He was going to be the savior of the Rams, but this is what Stafford is. He's a little reckless, a little crazy. Is that really the list? Uh, yeah. Matt Stafford, Matt Schaub? Yes. To throw a pick six in three straight games? Yes. Okay. So you're on a nice list with Matt Schaub. <laughs> anyway. The so Matt that- list. <laughs> also, for the local news... Beverly destroyed Salem in the Thanksgiving game, beating them 60 to 28, 60 points in the first half. It was a record-setting day all over the place. Most points, uh, it was a record-setting day for the Beverly-Salem rivalry. Most points in a game by one team, most combined points, most points in a quarter, 33, most yards in a half, 337. It was a complete beatdown. Uh, Hutton ends his first season setting records against the rival Salem. MLB free agency. There's been a lot of there was a lot of signings over the past 24 hours. I feel like some people are trying to get security in their money and contracts before the lockout if it does happen. I think that's why this is happening. I think you're going to see more of this over the next couple of days. Marcus Simeon to the Rangers, seven years, 175 million. Kevin Gossman to the Jays, 110 million. There's a bit of an arms race going along going on right now. By the way, in the American League, especially in the West, where Houston. They see weakness now in the Astros, and some of these teams are ready to make their move. Uh, the same thing's going to happen in the American League as well, which is why I hate that the Sox aren't going to do a ton because their league's just getting better. John Gray signed with the Rangers, also four years, $56 million. Byron Buxton and a seven-year extension for $100 million. There are rumors about Scherzer might be a done deal to the Mets. You will be talking about that later, though. And from that, the last one, Lincoln Riley is going from Oklahoma to USC. The news broke yesterday, right after, uh, you know, just on that Saturday after Oklahoma dropped their bedlam game to Oklahoma State. Lincoln Riley will be departing and going to USC, despite the fact that Oklahoma is going to the SEC. I have a lot more thoughts on that. So that has been Rapid Fire News. And that will take us into the next segment, which is Lincoln Riley. So, Lincoln Riley 
for everyone out there, because I realize that we live in a place that doesn't care about college football a ton. They don't care about college football a ton in New England. So I will, I will break this up quickly here into two different things. For non-college football fans and for college football fans. For the non-college football fans, here's why this matters, and it will have an impact. Lincoln Riley was the place to go if you were a quarterback trying to make it to the NFL, multiple Heisman Trophy awards from his quarterbacks, and also he has three quarterbacks currently starting in the NFL, and Lincoln Riley has not been coaching that long, that he should have three different ones. Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, and Kyler Murray. Here's the other thing. All three of those had their problems, too. They were not big pro prospects. Kyler was small. He played baseball. He transferred. Baker Mayfield had to transfer out of Texas Tech because of Patrick Mahomes. And Jalen Hurts lost his job to Tua because he's not a good thrower of the football and had to transfer to Oklahoma. And yet they all ended up being drafted and playing starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So that's a big deal. It's not like these guys were big, high-level prospects. Lincoln Riley now will coach at USC, where that is the mecca for high school quarterback talent. So he will be dealing with high, high-level talent that he will be able to keep in USC, in California, because there has been uh, a jettison of high talent, especially quarterbacks, leaving Southern California uh, since the coaching staff, Clay Helton, in there was not very good. They go to places like Clemson. They go to places like Alabama. Uh, both those teams have starting quarterbacks that are from California. Now Lincoln Riley, you have the best quarterback coach probably in the college at the best quarterback recruiting place in the country so you will see that trickulate to the nfl very quickly it'll be interesting to see you might get a absolute superstar quarterback coming out of that system now here's the other thing that matters lincoln riley has been linked to and talked about for nfl jobs too for the last two years usc is understood as a sort of mini nfl job and it is a stepping stone mckay robinson Pete Carroll, all went on to go and coach in the NFL. Going to USC and dealing with that market, that money, those boosters, that distracted market, the pro teams everywhere and the connections everywhere, prepares you far more for the NFL than coaching in Norman, Oklahoma, where you are just the boss of everything and you don't have a ton of distractions. No, you are answerable to a lot more things in Southern California. So that preps you for the NFL. That is exactly, don't kid yourself. Do not kid yourself. Lincoln Riley is going to USC because he's going to go pro at some point. Now, he will be at USC for a while because he wants to build that program and have that success. And now you could say he's built two programs um, in his college football career. Although, actually, no, you can only say he's built one because he inherited Bob Stoops' program in Oklahoma. So these guys have big egos like that. So it actually could be another thing that he's thinking about. He wants to build his own success. And if you can build it a success at a place as big as USC that has been down for so long, that's huge for you. And it won't take long. It'll be very quick. So that's why NFL fans should fare. Quickly for the college fans. Here's what this means. USC, I suspect Lincoln Riley will have USC back and rolling as quickly as in within two years. He has very little competition in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is awful. It's terrible. BYU would be the champion of the Pac-12 South if the Pac-12 had just let BYU join the conference. The only competition is Oregon, Mario Cristobal, and it's real competition. But when the recruits start flowing in for Lincoln Riley, he will blow past Oregon within three years, in my opinion. 
Here's the other thing, too. I have been on this since this news broke. Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. And I said, I don't think it's a good move for either school. Be careful what you wish for. You are going to such a huge competitive conference where the road to get to a playoff and win games every week is so hard and you have to compete with Nick Saban and what he's built at Alabama, I don't think it's a good move. Texas hasn't even been good and didn't look ready. We got a, They're a bit delusional themselves, and let's fire Tom Herman, bring in Steve Sarkeesian, who's never actually proven he can be a head coach. They're a mess. They're going to get destroyed in the SEC. I will call it right now. The Houston Cougars moving to the Big 12. Give them a couple of years with Sark and Texas getting pounded in the SEC. Houston will wall off that city of Houston for their recruits, and Houston will be a better football program than the Texas Longhorns. And I know that sounds ridiculous for anyone who follows college football, but I'm going to bank on that within three, four years. Lincoln Riley going to USC has everything to do with Oklahoma going to the SEC as well. We all have big dreams and things we want to pursue, but if you have a really comfortable job and you're in a really great spot, it becomes harder to take that risk and go do it. But the minute that job or whatever you're dealing with in life isn't as sweet, isn't as good, it becomes way easier to say, well, now is the time to take that big swing. That's exactly what he did. The minute Oklahoma goes to the SEC, that is no longer the best job in the conference. It's going to be a nightmare to try and get through to the playoff. And Lincoln Riley said, this wasn't my decision to come here, and now I can have a chance to fulfill my next dream, which is to coach in the NFL. So now is the time to leave. Enough money and ego, maybe Lincoln Riley leaves anyway, but I think the fact that Oklahoma went to the SEC made it all the easier for Lincoln, uh, for Lincoln Riley to decide that now is the time. And finally, the West Coast, and finally college football will have some parity because I think it'll be very quickly that USC is once again uh, a national power. To give a little bit of parity to the college football landscape where it's not just dominated by the SEC in the South. So with that, Jesse, I know you don't really have a ton of thoughts on that, so I will turn it over to you as we will start uh, the Pats and the Titans, son. Let's talk some real football. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, well, we're a local... Local New England show. We gotta we gotta discuss the Patriots. Yes. Uh, even though that's not the the biggest thing because it's not a lot to t- really take away from this game. The mm-hmm. the Titans were beat up. Uh, the Patriots are streaking. I not a lot to take away from this game. Not a lot to learn. Um, you know, I f- I feel good. I feel really good about where we are right now. Um, but you're gonna see it if you're gonna see the Titans again. You're probably gonna see a different Titans team. Because, I mean, no Derrick Henry, no Julio Jones, no A.J. Brown. That offense was destroyed. It was anemic. Also, by the way, they were missing their outside linebacker, their inside linebacker, their best corner, and their defensive end. Oh, we'll, we'll get we'll get to the defense part, too. But with the Titans in their offense, like, you know, the fact, they still kind of ran on you pretty well. So one of my takeaways from this game is, it's like, our run game is still sus. I feel good about our defense. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You mean our run? Our, our run defense, excuse me. Um, I feel good about our pass rush is pretty good, especially with Judon. I feel pretty good about our secondary, but that run game still. And if you, let's say we face Derrick Henry, even without Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. I don't know, man. 
That game. I mean, I still feel confident in our ability to win that game, um, especially with how hot we've been. But I mean, Derrick Henry would have ran all over us. Our defense is not built to stop a run right now, and with the offense, like yeah, they they were missing uh, key linebackers and uh, pass rush, and people love to pass rush Mac Jones. It's the bread and butter of playing the Patriots this year. Go after Mac Jones, um, and that it, he looked good. He did. He did. Uh, he didn't have the run game which we rely on so heavily. Uh, it just you know, it just wasn't quite working yesterday. It wasn't bad. No. Um, but it, to see Mac Jones, but we knew we knew the run game wasn't going to be as good in that game because I know they were facing their defensive end. But the D line for the Tennessee Titans is actually pretty good. Mm. Fair point. Yeah. But just to see Mac, to be like uh, not maybe not the reason we won that game because he's not. But like to see him be able to oh the running game's not working to see him kind of take a game like that it felt it felt good it felt like a step. Yeah. And those are really like the, my only kind of two big takeaways from this game. I don't know maybe you. See, saw something else in the cracks. Uh, no, actually, my my takeaway now is on the larger landscape of the playoffs in the AFC, which is, I think, the Pats <coughs> check almost all of the boxes that they could be the best team in the AFC. They still don't. Yet. They still don't. Can't get cheap top downs. They don't beat anyone over the top. And I still say that when they are humming and playing at their potential. The Chiefs and the Bills are better. But the Chiefs and the Bills are wildly inconsistent. And New England isn't. The only other team that I feel like is even in our range is the Baltimore Ravens. As far as talent and consistency level. So, I mean, Jesse, I know you rolled your eyes at what I just said too. And I'm not even calling them the best team in the AFC East. I just don't know if I can not call them the best team in the AFC East at this point. I've resisted it all year. Because I still just think there's so many problems here. But... I'm looking around the AFC, man. Who are you going to bet on? Uh, I, I, honestly, I don't know how to like, like, except, but that's that's my point. Honestly, who are you going to bet on? Well, I don't. The Bills and the Chiefs are just so wildly inconsistent. The Chargers, whatever, with the Broncos that, uh, yesterday. Yeah, and, the Chargers are off my list. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the Chiefs are getting better. We're seeing it getting better, and I, I mean, I expected them to like care. Like come playoff time, mm-hmm. so yeah, I still think they're better than us. You're right; they're much more inconsistent. I mean, even the Ravens are very inconsistent. Mm. La- uh, what was it? Uh, f- was it four interceptions Lamar threw last night? Mm. Um, and as much as I've we've hyped up Lamar this year, like oh, he has gotten better. That team still can be a little inconsistent, also. Mm. So when you ask like who do I put ahead of them, the Patriots. Technically nobody, but I can't, in my right mind right now, say, I mean, the Patriots are the best team in the AFC. Because I don't, I want to feel that. And there's reason to feel that. Because you're right, they seem to actually be the most consistent team. But they're consistently good. Mm. There's been flashes of greatness from the Bills. There's been flashes of greatness from the Chiefs, Ravens. I haven't quite seen that. It's leaned a little bit on the defense. But it's been like against the Jets and teams like that. So like, I want this team is good. Seems really good, but I just can't in my right mind say they are the best team in the AFC. I can't bring myself to do listen, it. Listen, I can't either. But I can't come up with somebody who's better. 
I just said I can't I just, really exactly. either, but like I just if you, can't if you said, say it. If you said here's a thousand dollars, you got to bet it on one AFC team making the Super Bowl. I have no idea who I'm gonna put that money Chiefs. on. Okay, all right. Just because they still not scoring that many points. I mean, they scored 19 against Dallas. Yeah, but by just, the way, the Pats, for some reason they'll just score. A I bunch guess in the you, playoffs. but the Pats defense has a has a thing against Andy Reid and the Chiefs. They're, even in when the they first were half. even when they were humming, the Pats would have the best. Uh, you know, that the best performances against the Chiefs of anybody in the first half. Listen, I think I don't think the Chiefs have what it takes to beat the Pats. Uh, I don't think the Chiefs have I what think, it takes to be a Super I think Bowl when the team, t- I think when the Titans are healthy, the Titans and the Ravens have the recipe to beat the Patriots because they can run the ball on what is not as good of a run defense that we have. They don't have to throw the ball over the top. They can you know, Bill loves to win that time of possession and, and just kind of control the game. And if you can consistently run the ball like that, you're going to take that away from Bill. Yeah. But, but the Bills but, and the Chiefs can't run the ball. The Bills, like, really can't run the ball at all. Yeah. Like, to, not, like to the point where I don't even think, I don't even know if I think the Bills are my favorite to, to win the AFC anymore. Because, like, you kind of have to run the ball in the playoffs. Like, if the weather is worse. It's cold. It's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And... You know, we talked about, I mean, it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, because we play the Bills twice mm-hmm. in the next couple weeks. Um, and I think, you know, we both, I think we both said split. We're going to split those. And that's, I think that still puts the Bills as the AFC East winners. And if you have to go to Buffalo in the playoffs, I'm not, I don't like that. No. And like, I still, you're right. Like, they don't have a running game. Devin's who's Devin Singletary like what and like Moss is you know they're okay but like I trust this defense with an okay running back despite what I just said about our running back defense or our run defense even their even their passing uh their pass blocking line by the way seems suspect lately too the Bills yes yeah Josh Allen's been running for his life a lot yeah um so like I mean that just seems like a bad matchup then if you're going to play the Pats. I will say it seems for some reason, at least this season, when quarterbacks break contain against us or break the pocket against us, I don't know. We can't handle it sometimes. And Josh Allen can really, I mean, he loves to be that running guy. He's not the speed of Kyler Murray, but he likes, he's a big guy. He likes to run when he can. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'm really curious of what we're going to see. When we play the Bills, I am so curious because I don't. Yeah, like we played the Titans. I thought even before they got even, like when AJ Brown was still thought to play, I still thought I liked our chances against the Titans because I didn't. I thought the Titans were better than I thought coming into the season, but I still thought like you're gonna blow it. You're not really the best team in the AFC. I'm um, sure Derrick Henry's a great running back. AJ Brown's a great rideout, but your team is just not. I never, I never quite had, was that hype about the Titans. Well, you don't love Tannehill, so. No, I don't at all. Yeah. Um, and I've been a defender of him in the past, but I just don't think he's there. I don't think that team was quite there. You know, if that's a healthy team, I think a hundred percent healthy team. Sure, you could probably beat the Pats. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, I, I still don't see the Titans as the big team going down the stretch, healthy or not. Um, it's still the Bills, the Chiefs, or the Ravens. And it also like it depends on matchup. Well, I was just Do about I to cons- say I was just about to say that it's it's gotten to a point to me where there's two things. I have been the constant wet blanket on the hype of the Pats. I am no longer going to do that. 
I am also not jumping on the hype train completely with the rest of you yet, but I'll just sit here and say I don't. But you bought a ticket. I, I, I no, I'm I'm looking at the tickets. All right, you're in the station. I'm in the station, perusing through the price of everything. <laughs> um, but I think really the AFC does come down to matchups. I think the Chiefs match up very well with the Ravens. I like the way we match up with the Chiefs. I actually like the way we match up with the Bills. Um, and I think we don't match up well with the Titans and the Ravens. So I think the AFC really is going to come down to matchups. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's where I'm at pretty much with the AFC. Uh, Ryan Tannehill threw for 93 yards yesterday. I know. I just saw that stat. I'm Isn't that crazy? 93 yards. It was bad. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. This but like we, we, we've, we've made some... Yeah, he's a veteran, but like we made some quarterbacks look kind of foolish this year. Oh, yeah. second day. listen, this is vintage Bill on his defense again this year. It's crazy. All right, I think uh, I think we're good. Yeah, there's not much to take away from that game. We're good on that, guys. We're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk what I like to call scapegoating in the NFL. This happens when somebody's about to get fired, so they try and save their ass by throwing some other people under the bus. We'll talk about that in relation to the New York Giants, the MLB free agency. And Matt Caracuda stopping by for the interview as well. So stick with us, guys. We will be right back. Here, slow your roll. Still got the interview coming up with Matt Karakutis. We're going to get to talk about something else right now, though. The New York Giants and Jason Garrett. This actually happened last week. Um, but, you know, we already did the, the show. It's the Monday night game against the Buccaneers, where then they fired Jason Garrett because the Giants' offense is terrible. And I laugh at this. Not that I'm, like, the biggest defender of Jason Garrett in the world. I think he's about average about everything. But it's not Jason Garrett's fault. This is classic scapegoating in the NFL because Dave Gettleman knows that his job is uh, really in jeopardy. And I think maybe the report even came today. I looked real quick that it kind of seems like he's already not going to be back. But obviously that report wasn't out yet when he fired Jason Garrett last week. So that too. Yes. This is scapegoating. And Joe Judge, too, trying to save his own butt because he's on the hot seat. We'll talk about that. I don't know if Joe Judge should really be on the hot seat because it's not his fault, but he's on the hot seat. He's feeling the pressure. But Jason Garrett, longtime head coach of Dallas. He was about average. We never liked him, though. (laughs) (laughs) The media doesn't like him for some reason. I didn't love him either. I thought it was time for him to get fired. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But he's not incompetent. He knows what he's doing. It's not Jason Garrett's fault that they can't build an O-line. Dave Gettleman's taken like four years. He can't build an O-line. Chargers rebuilt theirs in one. So many teams have rebuilt their O-line. If you are competent at your job as a GM in the NFL, it should take you about two to three years. 
If you're really good at your job, it can take you one year to rebuild the old line. You don't get four years to rebuild an offensive line. They massively reach with a pick with Daniel Jones. I'm not going to go into the specifics because we're going to get a Dave Gettleman in his pick in a little bit later. <laughs> a lot of Giants today. A lot of Giants. Not a, just, uh, actually, yeah, no, because there's three things with the Giants. Yeah. Dude, New York is the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? Do they have a single good franchise right now? I mean, I guess the Yankees still make the playoffs, but like this is the The mess. Islanders made it far last year. Oh, yeah, that's true. The Rangers like, are on the up and up. But the football teams are terrible. And the basketball yeah. teams, the Nets have talent, but they're a bit of a mess. Do you consider Buffalo? No. Okay. No, I'm talking about New York City. Real New York. Yeah, real New York. Love you, Buffalo, but you guys are kind of like Canada. <laughs> um, you're not New York City. But anyway. But yeah, it's, it's Jason Garrett's fault that they can't, they can't repair an old line. It's Jason Garrett's fault that they massively reached to get a quarterback that clearly does not look like an NFL starting quarterback. But yeah, it's all Jason Garrett's fault. It's all, it's all him. He's a bum. Get rid of him. Everything's going to be fine now that we get rid of him. This happens all the time when they fire coordinators and assistants, and I find it really, really... I mean, I feel bad for the guys, but I also find it really funny. Just being like, come on, we all see what's going on here. You're trying to throw somebody else under the butt. Always got to have a scapegoat. Do you have a, do you have a reaction to that, Jesse? Uh, I mean, not a lot, especially since we're going to talk a little bit of Joe Judge later uh but i said i'm sure i'm sure jason garrett's a nice man nothing personal um but i'm not surprised because it, the offense was horrible i'm not surprised and but. there was so much finger pointing mm-hmm. basically from week one with this team that i'm not surprised someone got taken out back and put down <laughs> at this point so i'll say that much for now but do you, I mean, do you think it's Jason Garrett's fault? I don't think he's that great. I know he's supposed to be, his mind is supposed to be offensive. And, you know, I guess I did expect a little more out of this team with him back there calling plays than it, I did. But no, I mean, it's Daniel Jones. Barkley's your best offensive player, and he is a shell of himself. He's never healthy. Um, your receiving core is eh. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, I don't blame him that much. Okay. No. All right. No, 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 no. no. So, from that, Jesse, I'm going to get you to get get us started on the next one. Oh, let's talk some baseball. Let's do it. It's the off season, but, like, let's break up the football monotony, all right? Shall we? Uh, A lot has happened the past couple days, you know, and some moves, some big moves. Mm -hmm. Uh, My guy, Starling Marte, went to the Mets. Red Sox got Waka. Erod went to the Tigers. So this is some exciting things happening happening right now, but a lot of big names still remain. Mm. We're going to talk about a couple. Uh, we didn't plan exactly out how we're going to do this, but Dom, you know what? I'll start by asking you. Yeah. Uh, a guy like Robbie Ray, Cy Young Award winner, currently on the market, going to fetch a hefty price. Yes, he is. Where do you think he'd be a good fit or where do you think he should go or where do you think he will go so I will say give this. me an answer with the Kevin Gossman signing five years 110 million Robbie Ray will demand probably more money than that and maybe look for a little bit longer and he's a little bit younger but not by much they're almost the same age he might not get more years I suspect he will get a little bit more money though which uh, in my opinion takes out two teams it takes out the Tigers and it takes out the Twins who were suitors uh, for Ray, the Tigers already spent money on 
Erod, and they're continuing to look other places, including offense. I don't think they will commit more money like that to another pitcher. Minnesota is Minnesota, so I don't think they're going to be able to spend that kind of money. So that leaves, in my opinion, there's other teams that will enter the fray, obviously, but the big two are the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Angels. And I believe that he will go to the Los Angeles Angels because the Angels are still in Los Angeles. They have a ton of money to spend. We have been laughing at them now, kind of MLB fans uh, in general, the media, for the past year or two because you can have amazing talents like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and you're never good and you never make the playoffs and your pitching is horrible. And I think they are desperate to change that narrative. I think they are desperate to try and keep Otani. And ob- I mean, Trout they have locked up, but they're hoping that you know Trout at some point doesn't get fed up too and want out. So I think they have to keep those guys there. There's a lot of pressure on the Angels. And it's all pitching that they really need because their pitching has been horrible. And I also talked about this earlier. There's a bit of an arms race going on in the American League now, especially in the West. So I think this is the Angels' chance with Houston losing more parts to their team. So I think Robbie Ray will absolutely uh, go to the Angels. We're going to go back. and well, Let's go back and forth on this. So who do you have first on your list then that you want to talk about? Uh, I didn't really have, a, I guess, a first that I wanted to talk about. But uh, the name at the top of my list is the first one I listed was Chris Bryant. Okay. So where do, you, where do you think Chris Bryant's going? Where do I think he will go? Uh, I will say this. Sorry, San Francisco Giants fans. He's not coming back. No. That was a fluke season. Accept it. Don't, don't throw all your money around thinking you can have another 107-win season. Well, Buster Posey also retired. Yeah. So take that as a sign that you need to start again. Um, but hey, that was fun, right? Yes. Uh, I think he would make actually a really good fit right now. I looked up a couple places. Where is he willing to go? The Seattle Mariners, apparently very big on Chris Bryant. And I really like that. When I saw that, I was like, ooh, that's very interesting. Because they were a team that last season, they really went for it down the stretch. Uh, which you know gives the sign that, like, hey, we're a little ahead of where we thought we'd be. We're definitely going to go for it. And I think they should. Uh, he's a guy, Chris Bryant is a guy who can play almost anywhere. He's played some outfield. He's played some third base. Uh a free agency right now, or free agent right now, third baseman was Seager, Kyle Seager. Uh, if they want to replace Kyle Seager with someone who's a little better, uh, I think Chris Bryant would be a pretty good fit. Okay. Now, he is 30, and Marcus Simeon just signed a seven-year, I think it was 135? No, 175. Oh, excuse me, $175 million deal. He is one year younger. Now, he did not just have the season. Marcus Simeon had. He didn't put, didn't put up 45 home runs. Uh, but they had a similar average, which makes me think he'll he'll want over $100 million, probably similar time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, the Seattle Mariners, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not a huge budget team. They got some money. Oh, they have money. They, they can spend this. So I think they, I really think that they should pull the trigger on this. I think they do. I think it would be a good fit there. Uh, so, yeah, I'll go Chris Bryant, maybe Seattle Mariners. Guys, guys, we have some breaking news. Breaking news. Max Scherzer Damn it. has agreed Damn it. to a three-year deal worth $130 million Ooh, to go to the New York Mets. So I feel like we feel real right now. Just broke news in the middle of a show. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> I mean, we all knew that it was close at hand. But Max Scherzer to the New York Mets, three years, $130 million. 
That is insane. That's $43 million average. He was on your list. Well, I'll let him, I'll let you talk about it. Okay. You know what, Jesse, we're, we're going to break protocol completely on this. Go right now. Let's go. Max okay. Scherzer. Now, last night, this was almost, this was pretty much a done deal last night. It was just more of the semantics, the how long, how much type of thing. Um, but I want to be the first to say that good luck on your retirement. I'm sorry it had to end like this, Max. Uh, it's all downhill from here. Uh, I understand why the Mets are doing this. Um, and, you know, good for them that they got it only a couple years because that, that is a huge payout. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, you know, I get it. You're going for it. The Mets. <sighs> I feel so bad for Max Scherzer. Uh, that's I, where careers go to die. That's what I mean. It's like, damn, we watched him, watched him be one of the best for so long. That's not even so long, just for like the past decade, really. He kind of just that is so long. He just really turned it on suddenly. But like, he's been one of the most fun to watch for a decade now, and I'm ashamed it has to come to an end like this. <laughs> However, good for you, Max, on that payout. I understand the figure. We call that we call that the retirement fund, yeah. baby. Right at the end, you uh, he deserves a bunch of money. He's still playing. At a very high level. I'm, did you see his numbers when he got traded to the Dodgers? They were insane. No, I know. He like like he, unreal, like like not even human. <laughs> like thirty five million a year ish, but forty. <laughs> Oof. I hope you know what you're doing. You. This is a, obviously a we're going for it right now. Wait, 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 wait. You say I hope you know what they're, you're doing. The Mets, yeah. But they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> the Mets never know what they're doing. Stevie reached real down deep into his pocket for this one. Uh, I don't know. You, you, for a team that still has no offense. one nothing with victories, man. <laughs> 2 nothing victories. Uh, do, you, do you have anything you want to say about this? Uh, it, it, you know what it feels like? Like every single Mets season for the past three or four years. Our pitching is godlike. We have Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard and blah, blah, blah. Now it's going to be we have DeGrom and Scherzer and and what happens? Who is the one? You don't score enough runs. One of them gets hurt because all pitchers get hurt. Now Max is nearly 40 and you lose a ton of games. The, oh, minute, and- the minute DeGrom went down this year, they went into the tank. Uh, they also, they were on in the Steven Matz. Sweep sweep stakes, sweep yes. stakes. Yes, and lost out on that, and they were pissed. So maybe that's so they decided to throw forty million dollars at a money. at a forty year old man. But there is no better forty year old pitcher. Than I mean, at least right now, I know at least it's only three years. But like, wow, that is a lot of money. Yeah, he's gonna and again, if you if you were just a pitcher away, then I get it. But but your offense is horrible. You're several pitches away and several offensive. Away. Well, the biggest thing is just their ter- their offense has been awful for like four years now. Why don't you invest in that? I, I, don't, know. I don't know. Weird. All right. They want the best starting rotation ever. I know. Like I said, every single year. Our pitching is godlike. All right. Trevor Story now. is the No, one. I have to ask. What? Yeah. Trevor Story. Oh, okay. Where's he going? <laughs> this will be quick because you actually just said it before that. I have him going to Seattle. Which probably means that I don't think Chris Bryant goes there. But I have no, Trevor Story. It, it, it'd be a one or the other. Yeah, I think Trevor Story goes to Seattle. Um, I don't think the Yankees, at least if they're intelligent, um, will want Story because he's a bit of a home run guy. Also, uh, also I think the Yankees would prefer Seager because he's a left-handed bat and he's a does a bit more offensively than Story does. 
all around. Um, Seattle really tried to go for it last year. They were just on the cusp. And like I said, I think a lot of those teams in the West think that Houston is starting to come back down to earth. They're losing pieces here and there. They've lost pieces now for the last two years. Um, So I think a lot of those teams think now is their chance. And I don't think Seattle is going to want to be left out of the aggressive offseason sweepstakes. So they will go big at some point, and I think it's going to be Trevor Story. Okay. The okay. Tigers also have been mentioned, and the Phillies have been mentioned for them as well. Oh, for Story. So I'm going to talk about the Tigers and one of mine. All right. So who's your next one, Jesse? Uh, you know, let's keep the shortstop theme going then. Okay. Carlos Correa. Correa. Uh, a polarizing figure. A guy who made headlines for talking crap about a guy who he might be standing in the shadow of. Because uh, the Yankees are one of the rumored teams. Uh, I don't think it'll be the Yankees. Hey. Especially after he talked crap about Derek Jeter. I have a different shortstop going to the Yankees. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, we have a couple on this list. Well, one of them is going to probably go to the Yankees. Oh, yeah. Um, but there is a team I just wanted to mention because of what happened yesterday, and I'm wondering if maybe that's a possibility now if they're going to really go for it and spend money. But Marcus Simeon went to the Rangers. It makes me think, will you go for a shortstop now? They, they have been linked to all of the shortstops. Okay, and that really made me think, would you want a guy like Carlos Correa and Marcus Simeon as your middle infield? That sounds pretty enticing. So that suddenly I'm thinking Rangers, but Tigers are very much linked to Carlos Correa. And they're a team that... Another team that was ahead of where they thought they would be last year. So I think taking, throwing, maybe not throwing money around, but spending some money is the right thing to do. And if you're going to go for with, I guess, a guy like Erod, a guy like Carlos Correa to fill your shortstop position, which they don't really have at all right now, mm-hmm. I think is a pretty decent idea. Mm. Uh, so I have Carlos Correa probably going to the Tigers, but I, I, you know, I have the thought of maybe the Rangers, now that the Rangers seem to be thinking they can go for it. Hmm. But I think Carlos Correa will probably go to the Tigers. Um, I don't know. I thought maybe like five years. Hmm. Uh, again, probably near the $100 million range. Hmm. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Oh, you went real. I, I wasn't going to go money specifics. Just, I wasn't. I didn't want to go just, specific because that's so it, difficult. But it I is. Thought, I've just done it really in relation to some of the other contracts. Like no, I can, that's, that's like I can do it with Ray because Gossman's the other premier pitcher on the market. And so... No, I, I looked at Simeon a lot when like deciding these contracts. Oh yeah, well that's always how it goes when the first guy signs. That always sets yeah. the market. Um, so for me, next on my list, Corey Seager. So many shortstops. This will be quick because, like I said, I already mm-hmm. have him. I said it in talking about story. I have Seager going to the Yankees. Um, I think it's a perfect fit. Uh, left-handed bat um, does multiple things offensively, which is something the Yankees do not do, as I have been hearkening on for a while now uh, is that they're not multi-dimensional offensively. Seager is. Um, and the big thing is left-handed and he is a big name and he brings playoff experience too. And yeah. And you know, the Yankees have the money. So I think it makes all the sense in the world to go at uh, Seager over all the other shortstop options, particularly story. Um, and I think Correa actually hurt himself with his little, Derek Jeter comments, actually. <laughs> I, no, I really do. If you're going to have other good options on the market already, why would I do that? Sure. Why would I go for the guy that just insulted a a centerpiece name 
of uh, of my organization. And I'm not going to do and that. Hey, maybe he doesn't want to be a Yankee. Maybe, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. The reason he talk crap. Maybe. But yeah, I think I think this is actually the one that I feel the most confident on of all of them. Okay. Ray, I feel very confident on too, but his market is just so big that like someone just might be crazy and outbid the Angels. I totally don't see Corey Seager going anywhere else. Okay. Yeah. I just hope um Wherever Corey goes, I hope Kyle goes the same place. Because I like, I like it when they stand next to each other because they look very similar. Uh, well, actually, uh, what did I say a little while back? Kyle looks like if Corey let go up. of him, yeah, gave up, just yeah. like just let go of himself. Yeah. <laughs> a little um, bit. <laughs> not that I sorry, Had a couple of kids. Sorry, Kyle, but like he doesn't look that bad, but he looks like a little more dad bodish. Yes. Yeah. Uh, be still a good. Whereas player. Cordy Seager walks around and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's a professional athlete. <laughs> Uh, Corey, you're still a good player. Or Kyle, you're still a good player. All right. Well, uh, who's next on your list? The last the last one on your list, I think, right? Yes. Nelson Cruz. Ooh. An interesting one because he is, I mean, he's only got really half the league as an option. Uh, only probably going to be an American League team. He turns 42 on July 1st. Wow. Uh, but he did set the record for most home runs by a 40-year-old player last season with 32. So he's still, if you're looking for some instant offense, he's still got it. And he's still, he batted 265 last season. That's not bad. Mm. Not bad at all, especially out of a power bat. Um, so when looking at teams, I mean, I really just looked at teams like who could use some instant offense right now? A team that'll is probably already a competitor, but just looking for that one few pieces. And I thought the Chicago White Sox could really use a guy like him. Mm. Uh, you know, they have pitching they have pieces for in the field but some instant offense it really they really could have used that in, in the playoffs last year so yeah. i think i think a chicago white Sox would be a great spot for nelson cruz and i also still want to see him play and he's not talked about retiring at all yeah um so Why would you yeah so at 32 home runs oh that's funny we're gonna finish we're both gonna finish with dh's kind of oh oh yeah nikki yeah uh, i'll ask you then because yes. I, I don't want to have much to say about nelson cruz yeah Nick Castellanos. Well, I said DHs, but the funny thing is, I went and looked this up, and of the most teams that are actually getting licked to Castellanos right now are National League teams, which is okay. surprising. I mean, listen, I would deal with his horrible defense for his bat too. I would. I just felt it would just it made too much sense that it would be the American League. But be that as it may, those are not the top suitors. Uh, for the longest time, it was the Miami Marlins. Unfortunately, things have come out that Castellanos wants six to seven years. And that probably puts the Marlins out of the price range. The Marlins, you just roll your eyes. The Marlins have really good pitching, though. And so they have, they have some money freed up now. Um, and so I think that they're going to they're gonna be kind of aggressive and trying to rebuild the offense. Because I do think they think that they have an outside chance. Which I think they do. I really do. Um, they already brought in Avisel Garcia. Unfortunately, like I said, I think Castellanos' asking price is too high. Now, he might go to the Marlins if... It starts to he starts to realize after a while that that asking price is not being um, met. His agent is Scott Boris, though, and we all know Scott Boris will hold out for a long time because he just he'll he if he says that's what his player should get, he just you know he he won't let it go. So I actually have Nick Castellanos going to the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh. And that has been the second team. Uh, to me, this comes down to there are two teams that really want him, uh, and the Phillies just have the deeper pockets. So they will meet Boris's asking, or at least be the closest of the teams, because uh, I just think they they'll outbid the Marlins. Hmm. So 
So Castellanos to the Phillies, in my opinion. I think it's a great fit. It gives Harper some protection. Another bat in that lineup. Uh, you got to hope that Alec uh, Bohm and Hoskins rebound. If they do, though, you could have a really scary middle of the lineup. So Yeah, yeah. I, kinda, I like that. I don't like the Phillies, but I, I'd like that move. Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense yeah. for them. And Nick, don't 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 go to Miami. Don't do that to yourself. That's the other thing. Um, we, I mean, he had his problems with Tiger Stadium when he was there. Uh, I don't think he'd want to go to Miami, which is just as big, if not a bigger ballpark. Do you remember that? His what? his comments were hilarious because he literally got traded 20, 24, 48 hours later. Like, he was totally making sure he got out of Detroit. No. Somebody asked somebody asked about his power numbers, and he goes, "Well, this ballpark is ridiculous. I'd have about way more home runs, except except I'm playing in a you know an insane place where they're just doubles." I think he referenced how long the wall is too. I think he called he called the park trash. Oh, I mean, he really he I he did was not hear those comments. Oh, that was perfect. I was like, "Wow, that's how you that's how you burn that bridge and make sure they trade you." Well, he's he's <laughs> he's clearly showed he's not someone to bite his tongue. And I respect that. No, I like it. He crapped all over the um, uh, Manfred. Yes, he did. Earlier this year, and I loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, Castellanos to the Phillies. That's what I have. The other thing is Dombrowski is the, I don't think he's the GM in Philly. I think he's president of operations or something. And he is the one who drafted Castellanos back in the day for Detroit. So there's a connection there as well. Oh. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and with that, guys, we will be taking another quick break. We will return with Matt Karakudis, undefeated season. Gonna gonna preview this next season for the Panthers. I am hyped to hear this. The program he is building here is amazing. Then we will go into some coaches who are on the hot seat, who we would fire and who we would retain, and then our Tommy report and Darwin award. As always, stick with us, guys. Uh, we are here with Matt Karakutis, coach of the Beverly Panthers, just two years ago, taking them to the TD Garden, and last year, fresh off an undefeated season. Good to see you, Matt. Thank you very much for stopping in. Good to see you, Dom. Yeah. Just very excited that uh, the season's here, ready to get going, got tryouts in an hour, so very excited. Yeah. Glad you're... to see you again. Yeah, it's, it's good to see you, and uh, I'm just so <clears> pumped <throat> for this season. Not that last year wasn't fun, too, but... It's going to be great having fans back in. I, I imagine the energy in that uh, gym is going to be just awesome. No no doubt about it. I think the fans make all the difference. Oh, I, think, I, think, love, I think they do. Too. Love home games, hate road games. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? All right. <clears throat> so we're going to start pretty basic here because this, this is uh, it's not just the local like channel or anything like that. We, we can get this all over the okay. place. So some people, family or anyone down there who listens and listens all the way from South Carolina and stuff. So for those who might not be as familiar with the Beverly program in you. So uh, for those listening right now, can we can you just give us a little background of uh, your life in basketball, playing, coaching, and all that kind of stuff? Sure. I uh, graduated from St. Mary's in Lynn. Mm-hmm. Uh, won back-to-back state titles there as a player. Uh, then went to Salem State, played basketball there for four years. Um, first started out coaching freshman at St. Mary's, moved on to JVs at Peabody High School, then first varsity job was Pope John and Everett. Was there for four years, and now entering my fifth year here. All right, yeah, for everyone. So <clears throat> I gotta ask, and obviously this comes from this comes from a position where I was here in school back in the heyday of when Bauer was coaching and stuff like that. 
Um, and we've always had good athletics, but it's always, in my view, been thought of more as a football school. So what did make you choose the Beverly job? Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely, oh, okay. definitely more of a football school. That's how I knew of Beverly growing up. Um, why Beverly? It was pretty simple. I just, I, I knew they had the athletes. I love the town here. I grew up in the North Shore. I grew up in Peabody. So I grew up always playing against Beverly. And anytime we played Beverly in any sport, I always saw them as a blue-collar, hard-working team. So I liked that approach. Uh, when I was younger, I was actually around Beverly High School a lot because my father was an assistant coach here for a few years with Coach Tom Donovan. And I'm good friends with Coach Tom Donovan. So I was always around Beverly. I had some friends from Beverly. Mm. And I saw a, a great coaching opportunity. You know, large public school, a lot of good athletes. And as a coach, I saw an opportunity for longevity as a coach because I saw Coach Donovan was here for 10 years, I believe. Coach Lewis, before me, was here for 13 years. And that's kind of what I was looking for. I'm not looking for, you know, a quick stop. I was, I was hoping for a job with some longevity, and I mm. think you can find that here. Yeah, absolutely. They are committed to sports no matter what here. And I will say that, uh, you know, <clears throat> just being around the city sometimes and anytime I talk to anyone who's tapped into the local stuff, you're turning it around as far as, like, just the conversation. I hear a lot of basketball these days, so... So it, it is amazing to see how, how quickly that's yeah, all. That was together. the plan. <laughs> so I'm glad it's working. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so I want to talk about, just from my perspective, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing the basketball in some of the games for a little bit. But last year with the COVID season, it gave me a unique thing where I started doing the freshman and the JV games. And I could see what it seemed like your brand of basketball all the way down, not just on the varsity, but at the JV and at the freshman level. So I want to talk to you about, like, do you feel that that, that has happened now all the way through the program and, and the process? Did it happen quickly? Is it Did it just sort of happen where you felt like it's finally come from the top down or, or just the process of how that came together? Yeah, I, I think uh, having the right coaches coaching the teams makes a big difference. You know, it's a huge help. I mm -hmm. fully trust my JV and freshman coaches. Um, we implement a lot of the same stuff. They know what type of team we want to be, which is a hardworking, you know, blue-collar team. And I think that's what we put on the floor at each level. Um, having talent definitely helps because yeah. I think there's talent at all levels. I mean, yes. the freshman team, since I've been here, mm -hmm. I think they've probably – I can count on my hands, you know, the amount of losses they've had. Um, the JV team has done excellent, you mm -hmm. know, winning record every year. Um, so I, I think they see what the varsity is doing. They know they want to get up to be varsity players, so they mm – -hmm. They follow their lead, and we have good leaders on that varsity team. And along with the coaches, I think it just comes together pretty naturally. Mm. That's interesting. And, and, yeah, like I said, you mentioned the winning because they've done a ton of that at the lower yeah. level too. It's, it's a, it was even funny to the point where, I, you know, a lot of your team is back this year, and I was thinking to myself, man, when I watch the JV, I feel like there's some guys that are ready to make the step up, and then it's just like I don't even know how many roster spots are available. Yeah, but, they, but you guys are loaded all the way through right you're now. You're right. It's, it's going to be tough because we have, uh, like you said, we went undefeated last year, and we returned 10, star 10 people from the varsity, multiple starters. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be very difficult to crack that lineup, and we had an excellent JV team, an excellent freshman team. Mm -hmm. So it, those younger guys, they're really going to have to bust their butts to get into that, you know, crack that lineup. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, the next thing, you know, we mentioned you, you took a, a Beverly team farther than it's gone at the Garden uh, just two years ago. And, and, you know, fresh off Duncan Moreland and Crowley, which are, you know, some legends now uh, in, in Beverly basketball. Fresh off all that, I think most of us knew there's talent here, but we didn't know how quick everything was going to come together. And then it just seems like you guys just sort of 
turn the page pretty quickly and just reload it. Did you feel it was going to be like that? Or did you figure that out like a practice or two in? Like, oh my gosh, like we are really good right away. Um, no, I actually did feel that. And people probably won't believe me, but my assistant coach and myself, we still don't think that was our best team. Even when we won the North with Duncan and Jack, we still thought our best team was down the line this year and next year due to how many young guys we have playing large roles, big minutes, and now growing together as juniors and seniors. I I think we can put something even more special out there these coming years. And uh, that that was another big reason, you know, why you want to coach in Beverly because you you can do it every year if you're willing to just be committed to to the process. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, we knew we saw Gabe Copeland come on later in that season. So we knew that Gabe was going to be back and we knew it was good. But but there were just some other kids that I just hadn't seen a ton of. And I, it was amazing to me that I was just like, it's almost just like just right away, just turn the page. Uh, Rook Landman is a big one that comes to mind. Yep. Didn't get to see a ton of him the year before. And he came on right away. And, and yeah, Rook's freshman year. Uh, Rook's a great player. His freshman year, he was sidelined with a back injury, which mm-hmm. really hindered him. And then we ran into COVID. So you only got to see him for a short season. But you'll definitely be impressed when you see him this year. I mean, he's now he's built like a man. You can tell he's really been hitting the weights, and he, he puts the work in every day. I mean, you see Gabe Copeland. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just an absolute monster. Um, Ryder Frost is another one. Now Ryder's walking around at 6'5 and playing unreal basketball right now. Uh, we got, you know, Nick Braganca. Everybody only thinks of him as, you know, the soccer player. He was a Salem News All-Star for us last year. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we bring back a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you guys, you guys really shoot the basketball well, and, and I like what Nick B adds, though, too, because Nick B will get in there and, and be dirty and get the rebounds and all that kind of stuff, too. Absolutely. I remember it, that Nick doesn't need to year. score the basketball. Nick rebounds the ball, moves the ball. He's a very intelligent player, mm-hmm. great attitude, great leader. That's why he's one of our two captains this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're really excited. Yeah. So I'm talking about something that coaches probably never like to talk about, but after last year, going through the NEC the way you did and, and what people feel about the NEC, are you ever worried about, because of all the success that you have about, and pretty much everybody back, your guys maybe getting ahead of themselves sometimes? I think every coach you know, worries about that. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm very worried about that mm-hmm. um, because our guys are, for the most part, pretty level-headed and they see the end goal and they know what the end goal is and... They don't want to drop a game that they shouldn't because they have that type of attitude, which is excellent. Um, the, the schedule that we have outside of the conference is as difficult as you will find in the state. And we did that you know, purposely um, because the NEC schedule has been a little weak. I think in, in the last uh, four years that I've been here, we are 41-1 and one against the other nine NEC opponents right now you you know and there's some good teams Mm. you you know but we've just we've been playing very well um I don't think we overlook anybody but I do think sometimes we come out with a slow start against teams that they our guys probably think they know we should handle and and that's typical of high school kids it's hard to get amped up against to play a game against somebody that has three wins and not like a Catholic Memorial or Lynn English Mm. and the reason I'm not worried is every time we've had those big games, our guys have come to play. If anything, they're too excited to play against the big-time teams. So mm. so I, I think we're going to be fine. All right. All right. Um, so 
talking about the NEC and all that, just quickly into this. So uh, were you disappointed last year when the news broke that the Lynn schools were bolting from the NEC? Definitely. Definitely. Because I think a lot of people don't understand it wasn't just basketball. It was all sports. That's why they left. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't basketball. It wasn't a basketball issue. And oddly enough, for, for boys basketball, that's where they brought the most to the table because classical and English were very tough. Um, you had some wars with classical. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so that's why I went out and scheduled classical yeah. again and learned English again. So mm-hmm. they left, but they're still on the schedule. Yes. You know, so because I, I like competing against those teams. Mm. So we're going to get into that now then. So. I, I love it. And I remember from when I started doing the boys varsity, uh, I had heard from coach uh, Tom Donovan and stuff that, you know, you were making a big emphasis on trying to get level of competition, level of competition, level of competition. And you guys went out this year and, and, and you went for it. I mean, St. Mary's you're opening in with uh, Lowell. We got uh, Malden Catholics on the schedule, uh, Catholic Memorial, Lynn, both of the Lynn schools. So I want to talk to you. I want you to talk about the schedule, how it came together, you know, working with the AD. I'm guessing if you guys were able to do this, you guys probably saw pretty much eye to eye on that. Or Yeah, Dan. Dan's great. He honestly, he lets me go free with whatever I want to do for the schedule. Mm-hmm. So it's up to me. He, he backs me on whatever I want to do. He thinks it's great, you know, playing all these tough teams. He's all for it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we got a 23-game schedule this year, which is the max because we're playing 22. And then we have the 23rd, which is the endowment game against St. Mary's. Um, so we have a max schedule, and we have just tough, tough non-league teams. Like you mentioned, a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And I would put that up against anybody in the state. And I thought this year, not just because the NEC may be a little weak, but it's a necessity with the new tournament format mm-hmm. where strength of schedule is the big thing. It's not so much wins and losses. Okay. So assuming we take care of business in the, the NEC and, you know, play up to our capabilities, we should do well. And then we need to go out and start knocking down some of these non-league games and pick up those W's and really build up that strength of schedule uh, mm. for the new tournament. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, for going out and doing the schedule the, the way that you have, um, what does that do? Obviously, you said strength of schedule is mattering now for seeding in the tournament, but what does that do as far as even just getting your guys ready to play that brand of basketball? Because we all know, even the way sometimes it's officiated in the NEC can be a little bit different than some yeah. of the other ones. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> definitely huge, especially now that we move up to Division One. I. I mean, all the teams that are on our schedule, those are the teams you're going to see in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the year we won the North, we played Lowell, we played Lynn English, and they ended up being, you know, and then the team we lost to in the North Finals, Wilbraham and Monson, uh, the semifinals, mm-hmm. Um, they were one, two, and three in the state at the end mm. of the year, and we played them all. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's huge. It prepares you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, you're going undefeated the year before. That, that I'm, I'm sure you feel like that's, that's a nice little you – know, it looks nice, yeah. but, you know, it's not quite – where you end goal wanted to be, yep. and, and you got to go out and do this. I can't this even year. think of the right team. Whitman Hansen we played, because I, I yes. hate that game so much, I don't <laughs> even want to say the right team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The losses sometimes just stick in your mind. Absolutely. More than the wins do. So. That's for sure. It's unfortunate how it's like that, but that's yes, just the way the human mind works, I guess. I hate to lose more than I like to win, that's for sure. Um, so I, your style of play also um, – Obviously, you have your own brand of basketball that you've brought here. But I noticed last year that you guys played 
I felt faster and just with a much more up-tempo than I remember other Beverly teams playing with. Is that a style that you particularly like to play with, or is that just more indicative of the current personnel that you have now? I, I would assume most coaches would love to play up-tempo, press full court, get up and down, but it's all you know personnel-dependent. Uh, we were a little bit slower with Jack, Duncan, Austin, mm-hmm. because we had some big guys that we wanted to really pound it in. But, you know, the, last year we were smaller, more shooters, and we were quicker. So we were able to, you know, push the ball down the floor, you know, shoot from the perimeter, try to snag some offensive rebounds, push mm-hmm. that basketball. You know, and a lot of teams like to play zone against us, so we wanted to push the ball down the floor, beat the zone down the floor, and then you never have to face a set-up zone. Mm, that makes sense, actually. That makes perfect sense. All right, so finally, we mentioned Rook Landman because uh, he was the one that really popped out to me because we just didn't get to see him a ton last year, and I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this kid's really good. Is there anyone this year that me and anyone else should be looking out for that we just haven't seen a ton of before and you think is about to break on the scene yeah, quite a bit? Yeah, it's uh, 100% Ryder Frost. Okay. When you see Ryder play this year, you are going to be wowed. I mean, he's going to kick the door in this year. Okay. He's playing that well. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then I'd like to see Zach Sparkman come off a great football season, take mm-hmm. that tenacity from the football field and turn it over to us on the f- basketball court this year. I think that'll be huge for us as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I do remember seeing Sparkman quite a bit, but yeah, yeah that's good. His rider has rider grown a lot. He's, He's a lot about bigger. six five right now. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Wow. So wow. that's a nice that's a nice little addition for the team then. Too. It sure is. <laughs> it sure is. You know, and uh, Dylan Crowley's another one. Jack's little brother. You mm-hmm. know, he's a junior now and. Uh, he, he can really stroke it. So if we can get him going, mm. he's going to bring some big things to the table. Mm, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, Matt, for stopping in here and uh, look forward to the season. I am pumped. I'm sure just about the only person who's more pumped than me is uh, Tom Donovan. And that's, yeah, that's, I would agree with that. I would <laughs> that's, just say, that's about I'd it. I'd say nobody is more pumped than me, but maybe Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I meant, I meant outside yeah, you, yeah, and you, yeah. you and the players. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I Tom to might watching. even beat us. You know, he could. He could. Tom, coach is ready to go, I guarantee he re- it. He really does just, like, bleed orange and black. No doubt about it. You, well, no uh, doubt about it. Uh, well, thank you, Matt, and uh, it's been a pleasure watching the past couple of years, and good luck to you. All right, thank you, yeah. and I appreciate the great job you guys do here at BevCam. Thank you, Barry. All right, thank you very much again to uh, Matt Karakoudis for coming in here. Uh, appreciate that, and I am hyped for this Panthers basketball season. It's going to be fun, uh, and, and I love what they did with that schedule, so... Absolutely, absolutely hyped for this season. Jesse, I'll bring you back in here for uh, for more talk of the things that, that me and you share and, and know about. Um, I'm back. I know. I, I've, left you, I've left you out in the cold twice here on this show this week. I'm sorry. That's right. I went and got some, some snacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice drink. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to – we're going to – next segment here. Some coaches on the NFL hot seat, fire, or retain. We're going to go through some guys, make the case whether they need to be jettisoned out of the building or if they should be given another chance. I think in general, I'm more patient uh, than I think you are, Jesse. And in general, way more patient than NFL owners are because they're ridiculous nowadays, I feel like. So anyway, I'll start with you. How about Mike Zimmer, the Minnesota Vikings? Okay. So Mike Zimmer, he's been uh, the head coach since 2014. And I have my problems with him. I have things I like about him. I can't put all the blame on him for how things are going. He's had his successes there, um, three trips to the playoffs, two division titles. But his last division title was 2017. And since then, it's just getting kind of almost worse. 
He went 8-7-1 in 2018. He made the playoffs again uh, in 2019, 10-6. and six. Then it was 7-9 and nine last year. Right now he's 5-6. and six. And there's even been flashes of greatness from this team this year, from this Vikings team. However, I cannot get over the inconsistencies. Uh, when it's bad, it can be so bad. When it's good, it can be really good. Um, but when you're this consist- inconsistent for, uh, what is this, seven years, eight years, eight years at this point, this is the eighth year, um, at some point you just got to say, listen, man, you're not getting us over the hump. We're not really progressing at all at this point. It's kind of time to go. Not that I think, like, yeah, he's got, you know, he's an offensive guy. He's got the offensive mind. And with a guy like Kirk Cousins, there's only so high of a you can really achieve. But he's had, like, they have weapons here. Dalvin Cook is a great running back. A little inconsistent with his health, but, like, obviously that's not his fault. You had a guy like Stefan Diggs. You have one of the best uh, receivers in Jefferson. Thielen's really good. And... These guys should elevate Kirk Cousins, and they do sometimes, but I feel like Mike Simmer is just kind of holding this team back, and they don't believe him that much anymore. Okay. So I think it is time for the Vikings to move on from Mike Simmer. Wow. Maybe it'll work out somewhere elsewhere. Wow. I didn't think you were going to do that. But I did. I would not move on from Mike Zimmer. I don't think it's Zimmer's fault. You said it's been worse lately. You know why it's worse lately? Because you're paying an average quarterback ridiculous amounts of money. Oh, no, I've... That's why the defense was so bad last year. They had to get rid of a bunch of people because they're paying Kirk Cousins all that money and they can't re-sign people. I agree, and there's even... Let's say you're not paying Kirk Cousins a bunch of money. Even with him as your quarterback, you are have some limitations. He's just not a big game player. Would, but, you be, would you be fair to say this? You don't think it's Mike Zimmer's fault and you don't think Mike Zimmer is a bad coach. It's just time for a change. Yes. Okay. Yes. I can at least meet you close to the middle there and again i still would disagree because i think you are more likely to do worse than you are to do better Yeah, not to say a replacement could even come in and fix this because again you're still going to have kirk cousins you're still going to have limited money your defense still isn't going to be good just because you got a new um head coach but the mike zimmer thing ain't working out and if you get a new coach i kind of think you're also saying that well next year ain't it either Let's let me, re, let's regroup and try to. Let me ask you a question, though. What if Aaron Rodgers leaves the Packers and goes to Minnesota? No, Come not on. no, not to Minnesota. Oh, just leaves but, and like okay. Because now you might have the best quarterback in the division, and you'll have a, an experienced head coach. Sad. Uh, I here's the thing, I don't think a team should put plan their future around what another team might do. I agree. But I just think I just think I think they need to stay with Zimmer. But I, I mean, I get your point to an extent. But I think you're more likely to do worse than better. And I think uh, you would really miss an opportunity if Rogers left this year and you had fired Zimmer. I guess with the Rogers thing, and uh, yeah, sure, if you fire him, and I, I'm all about. I usually like when they finish the season at least. If it's so awful, I get sometimes. You oh, they better it. not fire him mid-season. It's not yeah. that bad. Um, I'm not about that. However, like. It'll probably get worse when you fire a head coach. But I'm also saying, like, if you're going to move on from Zimmer, you're you're throwing in the towel with kind of the team you have. Not to say you have to, let's trade Dalvin Cook for draft picks and Jefferson for draft picks and all that stuff. You have a, you have some decent players here that you can start to build around or that you have sh- probably already should have been building around or at least trying to. 
But if you're going to fire Mike Zimmer, I think you should, like, next year we're taking a step back. We're going to regroup ourselves at least a little bit and try something else. Okay. All right. I think we move on to the next one. All right. A guy that I kind of wanted to talk about, but you put your name next to it, the Chicago Bears and Matt Nagy. Well, I know you're going to disagree with me, so you can talk about it. Yeah. All right. No. Matt Nagy has never had a losing season as the head coach of the Bears. Now he's about to, but it's not his fault that the GM is incompetent and the front office is incompetent. They can't work a salary cap. They're paying a quarterback a bunch of money who's not even on the roster anymore, and everyone knew was a flash in the pan in Nick Foles. Their O-line is terrible. Ryan Pace can't repair the O-line for some reason. They traded a bunch of draft picks for Khalil Mack. This is not Matt Nagy's fault. And here's the big thing. We live in a microwave society, right? And so we all just see something one time and not change an opinion and just move on. So we all saw the first game with Justin Fields, and it was horrible. And Matt Nagy's game plan was horrible. And they were terrible. That was one of the worst games I've ever seen a kid play. But... So everyone just wrote it off. Well, if you watch, was it the Monday night or the Thursday night game that they played Pittsburgh? I forget. I think it was Thursday. I think it was a Thursday night game too. And Justin Fields, you could see the maturation against a real Steelers defense and a real head coach. Justin Fields is sitting in the pocket making throws down the field. They're asking him to do more than the Pats do Mac Jones in this game against an elite defense in the Steelers. So Justin Fields is getting better. Why do you think it's a good idea when your young quarterback, rookie quarterback, is now making gains to fire the head coach and then give him a whole new playbook? To me, that makes no sense. And the fact is, Nagy hasn't had a losing season. And what the hell were the Chicago Bears before he got there? What are your expectations? They're not good. They haven't been good for a long time. Your front office is trash. And before Nagy's there, you were nothing. So... I don't think they should fire Matt Nagy. I think it'll be a huge mistake. Listen, it is over. I'm not predicting what is going to happen. I know what is going to happen. They are going to whack Mike, Mike, Matt Nagy. It's over. He's going to get whacked. But to me, that's the McCaskies doing what the McCaskies do. So you go, Jesse. Fire this man. Oh, my God. Fire him into the sun. Destroy his entire family. <laughs> Erase him from the records. Uh, all right, we don't have to go that hard. Uh, I don't like Matt Nagy. We had a discussion earlier this season about who would I rather have, Matt Nagy or uh, Kyle Shanahan and Steve, Sean McVay. Yes. Um, and I picked the Nagster. I picked the Nagy. And then a week later, I was like, no. No, 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 no. Because all right, this man has some of the worst uh, offensive schemes I've ever seen. And it can't be that bad if you got your biscuit to the playoffs. Nagy made the playoffs twice. And he got Trubisky to the playoffs when no one knew how to play him. And then the second they learned to play uh, him, it was all terrible. And it's kind of only gotten worse every year for Nagy. And, again, not totally his fault. He's not the GM. You can't pick. Not everyone can be a Bill Belichick and pick exactly who they're going to coach every Sunday. But. You are picking the schemes. You are picking the strategies. You are picking how this game is played each and every day with what you have or each and every Sunday with what you have, and it's not good. It's not good at all. It's really bad. Horrible even. And, you know, Andy Dalton's not good. Justin Fields is a young kid who's not quite ready. 
But I have, at times, I don't think I've ever seen a worse offense than what I've seen out of the Chicago Bears this season. Just an inability to move the ball at times. Just absolute dumbfounding play calls at times. And that remember that game? He had COVID. Mm-hmm. And they were, uh, that was the best game I feel I saw Justin Fields play. Uh, they did still, you watch the Pittsburgh game? They lost. No, I didn't watch the Pittsburgh game. But Pittsburgh sucks. Um, Their defense doesn't. And they still lost that game against the 49ers. But I was like looking at Justin Fields like, man, maybe this kid will be pretty good. Now, again, he's was hyped up and he's just not ready quite yet. He'll be okay. He'll be a decent quarterback when he comes around. But Matt Nagy's ruining it. All right, fine. And he should be fired. All right. What are you? So what? If your quarterback's getting better, you think you should just give him a whole new playbook? He's. I mean, it's not good for the development. He couldn't get any worse. Uh, I disagree. But all right. And fine. again, fine. Yeah, one I of the best games I saw him play. Matt Nagy wasn't there. Okay. Matt Nagy's still there during all the practices and making the kid better. But all right, whatever. All right, Jesse. Me. Joe Judge. Joseph. Joseph Judge. All right. Who was also on the hot seat along with his GM. I'm going to have a theme here. And just fire Jason Gettett into the sun. Fire this guy too. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm I'm on the side of like, hey, give give people time. And this is only his second season. And this is not a good team. Not the GM. Doesn't choose what's on the field. Didn't draft uh, Daniel Jones. Uh, didn't choose to throw money at. Um, oh, who was that wide receiver they just signed? Oh, I don't know. He was on the line. Oh, Kenny Galladay. Yeah, Kenny. Yeah. And I don't blame him for the personnel. But this dude was, you know, all right. The theme of picking NFL quarterback or NFL head coaches seems to kind of, you pick a guy, he's just an expert in something. Bill Belichick, he loves defense. Sean McVay, he's got a great mind for offense. Mm -hmm. Joe Judge is a special teams guy. (laughs) Special teams. All he ever achieved at Alabama and with the New England Patriots. Pretty good special team mind. You know, he's great with those punt formations and, you know, calling block punts, blah, 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 blah. What the hell does that have to do with guiding a whole entire football team to the promised land? Uh, he is over his head. Uh, and he is also part of the problem with this blame game. Oh, it's Jason Garrett. He's not. He's not making good play calls. The defense is not. Just he's just not. They're not together as a unit. Bro, you are the guy that's supposed to get them together as a unit. You are the guy who's supposed to be like Jason. This is the plan. These are the schemes. You gotta. Don't just leave it to Jason. Talk. You know, cooperate. And you know, he's he's got his special teams mind. Boy, I don't care. He should not be. Coaching an entire football team. Put him as a defensive or offensive coordinator if you want to give that a shot. And then do head coach. He is in over his head. They jumped the gun with this. I don't know why they picked Joe Judge. It was an odd pick. Yeah. yeah all right. We want the Patriots guys. They all know what they're doing. They all got the, the secrets. No. How has that worked out historically? That's not working at all. Again. Yeah. It's He's not the guy. I don't want to crap on Joe Judge. Personally... But, like, you are not the guy. The Giants should move on from this guy sooner rather than later. Mm, okay. Right. I, I, I have nothing to add. I have no strong opinions about Joe Judge. So we can move on to the next one. Okay. All right. Yes. Dom. Vic. Vic Fangio. Denver Broncos. Yes. How you feeling? 
Uh, I think this is maybe the one I even feel the strongest about, even over the Matt Nagy one. Uh, I do not think that the Broncos should fire Vic Fangio. I think that will be a massive mistake. And here's the here's the reason, okay? You are in an offensive division. You have to deal with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and you have to deal with Justin Herbert. What are the chances that you are going to get and or pick a quarterback that is better than those two? Pretty low. What is the chances that you are going to get an offensive coach or mind that is better than Andy Reid? Pretty low. Pretty low. Maybe instead of trying to play the same game that everybody else in your division is playing, maybe you should play a different game, kind of like what Bill Belichick does to the rest of the league. Vic Fangio's defense is really good, and it's been really good. The Broncos are always near the top, even in the years that they haven't had success here with Fangio in defensive metrics. The problem is they don't have a quarterback. Drew Locke is leading the league in interceptions and like back-to-back years that he played, so you can't win games in the NFL if you're giving the ball away way more than the other team. And Teddy Bridgewater is decent, but he is limited. And we know Bridgewater is limited. And they play in a tough division. But they're battling. They're about 500. He did a great job with Justin Herbert last night, by the way, and the Broncos won that game, completely shutting down a quarterback that most teams have not been able to shut down. The only one who was really able to shut down Herbert like that was Bill Belichick. So I think it would be a massive mistake for Denver. Stick with the defensive guy and have some sort of answer in that division for the high-flying offenses of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Because the idea that you're going to go in the same direction as those guys and hit it just as good as they have, I think is super, super low. So play a different brand of football, and I think that should give you a chance. So that's my opinion on Vic Fangio. Okay. Uh, That one, yeah, I agree with. When I looked at it, I was like, they shouldn't fire him at all. It's not his fault. No. Uh, that That one I... Definitely agree with. Okay. Nothing right. more. Nothing to say on that one. All right. So, Jesse. Yeah. How about Urban Meyer? Oh, my man. My favorite guy in the NFL. The herbs. The herbs, herbs and spices. The herb. Uh, so, we've been a defender of Urban Meyer. Uh, what's that face? You're not going to call for his job, are you? No. Oh, okay. No. All right, spoiler alert. No. <laughs> oh, I thought you were really about to no. do that. I was going to be like, what is wrong no. with you? We've been a defender of this man. Yeah. Um, the media has just destroyed him. And, you know, he deserves some criticism. That whole the thing with the bar and, you know, you know, he deserves some criticism for that. But the whole idea that he doesn't, he totally lost the locker room. He never had it to begin with. These players don't like him. They don't respect him. They don't listen to him at all. Uh not this game, but the one before, they got blown out. And it wasn't close at all. The entire game, just every nothing worked. And near the end of the game, I was watching the end, um, and they benched Trevor Lawrence. He's just sitting on the bench, right? Uh, not sitting. They're standing. He's standing next to Urban. He's got his arm around Urban. That doesn't strike me as a guy who doesn't have the locker room behind him at all. He seems to, despite the fact that this team knows they're not good. How can you not? How can you not know that you're not good? And when... You can at least accept that. You can then become coachable for the the next game, the next year. And he seems to be actually doing that. He was never going to come in here and fix this team. Impossible. Impossible. God himself couldn't have done it. They, they were the worst team in football last year. Yeah. They won one game. And, oh, yo, they drafted Trevor Lawrence. They're all on the up and up. Sure. He's better than they had last year. Yeah. That's why they've been won more than one game. Yeah. <laughs> and, hey, they beat a team that we consider a contender— in the Buffalo Bills, mm-hmm. a well, 
coached game by Urban Meyer. He took some chances, and it paid off for him in that game. So, no, don't fire Urban. Yeah, Give they, this man a chance. And they get better they for the had, most part. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're a decent way into the season. It's not better every single week. Yeah, but that's the NFL. You're going to have weeks where it just don't work. Yeah, but from week one to now, I absolutely see a much better team in the field. Oh, yeah. Um, and I see a team that seems to like this guy, hmm. a team that will f- follow this guy, a team that will listen to this guy. And I haven't seen that out of the Jaguars in a little while. Yeah. So this seems to be the best thing you've had in a long time, Jacksonville Jaguars. Don't screw it up. Mm. That's what I'll say about the herbs and spices. The herbs and spices. My man, Meyer. All right. But all right, that's what I have to say. You got anything about Urban? No, no. no. All right. I I was just shocked for a second because I thought you were going to call for his job. No. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? No, 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 no. But all right. The final one. Yes. Robert Sala. New York Jets. Yeah, listen, I'm not... I know the Jets are the Jets, and it's hard to succeed. And I'm not for firing coaches after one year because I like to give people time. But I think Robert Sala has to go. I thought it was a dubious hire to start with. Um, His specialty is supposed to be defense. The Jets actually, for the past two years, have had decent defensive personnel. They still should have had good defensive personnel this year, and yet their defense is awful. It is garbage. It's terrible. I also don't see Zach Wilson improving from week to week, even before he got hurt. And I don't see improvement in general out of this team from week to week. I think Salah is completely over his head. um, And I think they need to get an offensive coach just to try and save Zach Wilson. uh, Or at least an experienced coach. I don't really like when you're bringing in uh, a head coach with no head coaching experience when you have a rookie quarterback. I don't think that's great. Um, so I think Robert Sala is completely over his head. When you worry, when you have a specialty, right, and you at least should be in inheriting some sort of competency in that specialty, like that personnel grouping, like their defense is not terrible. It hasn't been the last two years. I expect you to at least be good in that area, and they're terrible. They're horrible on defense. So I think Robert Sala is in over his head. Uh, I think it was a complete whiff of a hire. And I, I think I think you gotta you gotta move forward next year with somebody else. Okay. Yeah. Uh this one I have a little I guess mixed feelings about. I don't like firing coaches after one year. I don't either, but um there are sometimes it's so bad and a guy looks so over his head. I guess, but does he look more over his head than the last one? Yes. Really? I think Adam Gase didn't look over his head. I feel like Adam Gase's players look like they hated his guts. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Well, if they don't Especially hate... Especially by year three. If they don't hate Robert's guts, sh- is that not improvement? Okay. Uh, uh, that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> well... It is the Jets, I know, but I I think I just think it's clear you whiffed. I think this guy is over his skis completely. Okay. All right. Is that it? For the coaches. Yeah. All right. Well, that, we're just about ready to finish this thing up here yeah. then. Tommy Report and Darwin Award. So, okay. Jesse, I'll turn it over to you for our weekly Tommy oh, Report. Everyone wants to know what is our man Tom Brady up to? The man, the myth, the legend. Yeah. Uh, well, this week, uh, you know, he's got a podcast. Yes. Let's Go Podcast, as he calls it. Yeah, he interviewed Oprah. Let's go podcast. Did he really for his Thanksgiving special? Yeah, that's funny. It is funny, <laughs> especially because like he uh, was interviewing Oprah, not the other way around. 
Mm. Uh, I mean, at least that was the idea. I kind of got flipped, and then he started interviewing. Oprah started interviewing him. But, like, that's just Oprah. But he also, you know, what else is Tom Brady? He, he loves golf. He was tweeting about some golf on one of his off days. Uh, and, hey, what did he do on the football field? Had a great game. Uh, beat the Colts 38-31 in a thrilling affair. He was 25 of 35, 226 yards, threw a touchdown, one interception. Uh, he was helped by Lenny with four touchdowns, three running, one passing, and vintage Rob Gronkowski with seven catches, 123 yards. So uh, a great day for the Buccaneers. Mm. That has been your weekly Tommy update. That is what is he has been up to. All right. But it's time for the Darwin Award. Oh, yeah. All right. The big DA. Yeah. <laughs> The big DA. Darwin Award. Yeah, I get you. I get you. All right. So the Darwin, duh. Darwin Award. Let's go. Let's go. <clears throat> Drum roll, please. Don't want to knock the phone down. This week's Darwin Award winner is Dave Gettleman, the GM for the New York Giants. Congratulations, Gettleman. Oh, my gosh. Big show for the Giants. He is the face of incompetency as a GM. And this is for his overall, but also here specifically. His pick of Daniel Jones at the sixth overall pick in 2019. And in the second overall pick in 2018, he decided to take a running back in Saquon Barkley, despite the fact that his team was absolute trash and needed help at offensive line, defensive line, secondary, and a new quarterback. But he went, no, I'm going to go with a running back with the second overall pick. Do you know who was the other running back who went in that draft? Nick, Nick Chubb. Do you, know where, oh. do you know where he went? Cleveland. No. He went in the second round, which is where you should be living to draft running backs now. The second round. They're not that important. Unless you're really, it's the only piece on your team that you need. Here's the other one. Daniel Jones. What a terrible pick this was. I understand you need a quarterback, so go for it. I get that. They had multiple picks in the first round. Dave Gettleman was the only one who had Daniel Jones even close to that high. There was not a single scout, there's not a single team or front office that had Daniel Jones rated higher than Dwayne Haskins. And Dwayne Haskins went 15th. They dodged that bullet, though. They did. But they wasted a sixth pick on that, on Daniel Jones. Mm -hmm. On a smallish, I mean, average-sized quarterback average to below average arm who in the ACC could not complete 60% of his throws. He completed about 54% with a great, great offensive minded and quarterback mentor and coach in Cutcliffe, 54% of his throws. And yet Daniel and yet Dave Gettleman thought sixth overall pick. I think that here's the other thing that makes it funny. You know what Dave Gettleman said about the Saquon Barkley pick? This is what he said, Oops. verbatim, word for word. No, no, when he made the pick. <laughs> you don't draft out of need. You just draft best player available, Ah, which I don't agree with. But even if I did, you're going to tell me that Daniel Jones was the sixth best college player? Ludicrous. <laughs> Absolutely ludicrous. That should have been fireable on the spot. Someone should have went to Gettleman and said, you're either a hypocrite or you're incompetent. You don't draft out of need, Jesse. You just draft best player available. You draft the best player available for your need. <laughs> yes. So I think Daniel Jones is the sixth best college football player that season. Absolute ludic- ludicrousy. 
So Dave Gettleman is absolutely incompetent. Here's the players he missed in the first round. This is only within the top 12 picks, too. He could have had, instead of picking Saquon Barkley. Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, Roquan Smith, Vita Vea, Minka Fitzpatrick. All places that you needed a playmaker, all of them sensational NFL players, you went with a running back. When your O-line was trash. So how are you going to be able to run the ball, even if he is super talented? Your O-line's trash, and your quarterback is trash, and you have no weapons because he traded OBJ. So Dave Gettleman, the Darwin Award, one of the worst GMs of all time, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Do you have anything to say, Jesse? Well, uh, but for how long? Because I saw it last night uh, from a reputable source, and Ian Rappaport, I feel like he's a good guy to get your news from. Uh, he said this is likely to be his last season. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's getting GM fired. He's getting whacked. Of the Giants. So, not for long. Not for long. But, oh, it was glorious while it lasted. <laughs> Just glorious. So, Dave Gettleman... Congratulations. Your philosophy. You got to just pick the best player. <laughs> I, I will not defend that statement. I will give one defense on picking Daniel Jones in the fact that they had Eli Manning and it was clear they wanted to run the exact same offense. So they tried to pick the exact same guy. Okay. But, but when nobody but you has him that high on the board, not a single scout has him that high. They had him the end of the first round <laughs> to a second round pick most teams. And you have multiple first-round picks. You don't need to waste the sixth overall pick on him. Sure. But uh, <laughs> You that, picked again at 17. That, that was my one of like, hey, this you is... You picked again at 17. This was probably the thought process. And Dwayne Haskins got picked like right before that. Dwayne. Who was higher on everybody's board than Daniel Jones. Mm, future Darwin Award winner right there. I know, right? <laughs> I got nothing else to say. Oh, by the way, you know who else we picked in that first round? Picked corner DeAndre Baker. Do you know that name? No. Of course you don't. You know why? Because he got released. <laughs> he also got charged for armed robbery. Oh. While being in the NFL. Oh. Not, not before. Not before the draft. While being in the NFL. So uh, he whiffed on just about everybody else in that round too. One of the worst GMs of all time, in my opinion. Just totally incompetent. So of congratulations, all, Dave Gettleman. Time. One of. I didn't say the worst. I said one of. No one is probably as bad as what was his name? Uh, sorry, with a G for the Colts. Traded all those picks for Trent Richardson. Greg, Grigson. Grigson. Anyway, that has been it for Slow Your Roll, guys. Congratulations to Dave Gettleman on that uh, Darwin Award. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a great episode. Yeah, hang that I on do your say wall. so myself. So pumped about this one. <laughs> and... Uh, at slowyourroll.com um, well at slowyourroll for Instagram slowyourroll.com for any of the old episodes sports news and clips from the show on the Instagram at slowyourroll thank you very much uh, thank you very much guys and have a good rest of your day